You got your Bibles, open up to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. So today we deal with this weird passage of Scripture. You'll remember what's happening as Paul's answering questions. The, the church in Corinth has written to Paul, or they've sent a messenger in some way. They, they've con- connected with Paul, and, and, and they've, they've asked a list of questions that they're expecting Paul, or they're desiring Paul to answer to help them worship well, to help them follow God well. It really is their desire to do what God wants them to do. They just... They don't know exactly what that means. And so they've asked Paul some things, and and we've been dealing with his questions for the last multiple weeks of this series. And what happens now, right, is the, the topic has shifted. And what they really are asking him about in these next several chapters is proper order in worship. When we get together to worship, how should it go? And so they're going to ask him questions about things like spiritual gifts and the exercising of spiritual gifts, prophecy, speaking in tongues. They're going to ask him questions about communion, the Lord's Supper. And, and the first thing Paul addresses in this chunk is questions about authority, headship. Who's in charge? What does that look like? Now, here, here's the problem when we talk about headship, we talk about authority, is that what God has said is not necessarily things that we like to hear. And there's always a little bit of a rub. When God says things that we don't like to hear, we have a couple of tendencies. One, we just skip right over it, and we just don't acknowledge it. Right? We can study the whole counsel of God. We could study new scriptures every day for a long, long time and not deal with these passages that are hard because we don't agree. And some churches do that. Right? Or we could read it and say, well, you know what? That has to do with that culture then. It has nothing to do with the culture we live in now. And so we just kind of can dismiss it out of hand. Say it's not for us. Um, We could take a tack where we say, you know what? The Bible just is misguided and wrong in this. It's right in a lot of things, but it's misguided and wrong in this area. And and frankly, churches, individuals, Christians, they will do all of those at times. Uh, But one of the benefits of of working through um, these things verse by verse is we don't have the luxury of skipping it. So we're going to deal with it. So go ahead and uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 11. We're going to take care of the first, uh, well, we already did verse 1 last time, but verses 2 through 16. Um, And we're going to deal with this thing about headship. Headship is just uh, the responsibility of authority. That's all headship is. Headship, the idea of headship is who has the responsibility to be in authority. Now, the reason that this this gets is is because God is very clear in this text and in other parts of Scripture that the responsibility to be in authority falls to men. And in the world we live in, that sounds bad. To say that, no, 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 God's design is that men lead. 
right? Because we, we live in, in, in this culture in this time where, where we, we don't like to, to think or act like there's differences between the genders. And, and um, it feels chauvinistic and it feels rough to say that this is the design that God has made. But I think as we get into scripture, we're going to see that there's real value here. And this is what God intends. And we want to be very careful not to be incorrect about what God intends. So I want to just state this position from the front. And if you disagree with this, then um, stay with me and let's get into scripture and let's see what's there and we'll figure out how to deal with it. But here's what this says. Um, God has made distinctions between men and women, and he has given them different roles and functions and period. That is the end of that sentence. This is a true statement. It is biblical. We can look in scripture. We can see how it backs itself up. God has made distinctions between men and women. Men and women are not the same, and they are not intended to function in the same role. That's just the way that it is. Um, it's by design. It's by creation. God knits us together in our mother's womb, and in doing so, he imprints on our DNA. There are things that are true for women, and there are things that are true for men, and we are not the same. Now, That is a biblical position that really no Bible scholar will disagree with. We may may have differences of opinion on what that means for headship. But the fact that God has created men and women differently is not something that's really up for debate in the church. Okay? God has created us with distinctions. He's given us different roles and functions. Both men and women are fearfully and wonderfully made. Both have infinite value. Both are made in the image of God. Both are indispensable to the full and healthy functioning of the family and the church. This is the stated position of the church. Men and women are equally valuable, period. Men and women, by God's design, have different function. And and I think we're going to see that that's biblical as we start breaking apart scripture here. Okay? All right, let's dig in. Starts in in, in verse 2, and he says this. Paul's writing to the church. He's answering these questions. This is about proper order in worship. He starts with headship, but he starts with this simple statement. He says, I commend you because you remember me in everything and you maintain the traditions even as I've delivered them to you. Paul starts this chunk by saying basically this, good job. Because I've said to you, remember this was 11.1, we talked about this last time. He says, imitate me as I imitate Christ. Now he's saying, you're making an effort in that. You're remembering me. You're remembering my teachings. You're remembering what I've brought you. Good job, right? Like, keep it up. Keep working hard. Keep caring. Keep trying. He's like, I'm giving you kudos here. He's like, I commend you because you remember me and everything. Listen, he has not given them a whole lot of kudos in this letter, right? He's made an awful lot of corrections to the church in the letter that he's writing them. And in this instance, he just starts by saying, hey, good job. You know what? You're working at it, you're trying. Okay? And he says, but 
I want you to understand. And so what he's saying is, you have done a good job of remembering my teachings, putting them into practice, but there's something we haven't talked about yet. And that's headship. He says, but I want you to understand. He's like, this is something that we haven't taught yet. You weren't ready for this. But now, here's the deal. I want you to understand that the head of every man is Christ, the head of a wife is her husband, and the head of Christ is God. See, and right off the bat here, this is where this starts to get funky. Right? This is where, admittedly, when I've preached this in the past, I've started to lose people. Because we don't necessarily like the idea, right, especially as, as women in the, in the body, we don't necessarily love the idea that we are supposed to be under the authority of somebody that's not Jesus. And so we start to, we, we, we start to wrestle with this a little bit. And I get that. I absolutely unequivocally get that. As, as your pastor, I understand that feeling. Also, as your pastor, all I can do is share with you what the Word of God says as plainly as I can. And so, um, this is one of those things. Let's, let's go here. He says, I want you to understand that the head of every man is Christ. Well, we know that to be true, right? That, that Jesus Christ is the head of all things. And when he says head here, think about it. Paul, Paul has been talking and he's going to keep talking about the church as a body, right? And so he has in mind this metaphor of the church as a physical body, right? You know, with, with toes and fingers and eyes and nose and mouth and lips and a tongue and, and kneecaps. I don't know. Like, you know, the whole thing, head, shoulders, knees, and toes, knees and toes. And, and there's the whole thing. And, and he has in mind the picture of the body. And he says, the head of the body is where he's talking about. He's talking about headship, the head of the body that runs the body. He says, the head of every man is Christ. Christ is divinely the head of every person that has ever existed. Functionally, temporarily, Christ is the head of the church, which is every person that's ever bent the knee to Jesus. Anybody that's ever bent their knee to Jesus makes up the church. Christ is the head of the church. Christ is the head. We have no problem accepting that. That makes sense. Christ is the head. We all submit to Christ. We're all in submission to Jesus. But the sentence doesn't stop there. It continues. He says, I want you to understand that the head of every man is Christ, yes. The head of a wife is her husband. So, so what, what God is teaching us there is that just like men um, and women and everybody in the church are to submit to Jesus Christ and follow Jesus Christ's leading. Paul's saying is that wives are to submit to Jesus Christ through their husbands. And I get how that sounds, right? I get it. I understand how that sounds, but I, I, I can't make it say something different. Here, here's what he says. He says, we all submit to Jesus. Wives submit to husbands. And 
the reason this is coming up is because the church is fundamentally different than any other organization in the Roman Empire. The reason they're having trouble with this in the first place is because throughout the Roman Empire, um, and especially in Greek culture, but, but women are less than. Women are seen as one of two things, typically, in, in Greek culture in the Roman Empire. They are seen as um, the property of a man. Daughters are the property of their fathers and their families until they are married, and then they are the property of their husbands. That's how they're viewed. Or, if they aren't the property of someone, typically, they're prostitutes. And so this is the way in Greek culture, especially, that, that women are viewed. Well, the church is the only fellowship in the Roman Empire that brings freedom and value to other groups, right? Socioeconomic status, racial status, right? Nationality, rich, poor, man, woman, slave, free. None of that matters. In Christ, we are all unified. We're all equal, the church is the only place in the ancient world where that is true. Probably the church is the only place where that should still be true as fully as it is. But, but this is the way it works. Together, we are all unified. And so what happens is this newfound freedom then causes questions about, well, what does proper order and worship look like? And what does headship look like? And who's in charge? And so Paul's answering the question. He says, look, everybody answers to Jesus, right? Every person answers to Jesus, wives, you are to route that through your husbands. And then in case we're inclined to argue about how unfair that is, and I get it that we're inclined to argue about how unfair that is. I do understand. Um, Paul says this, oh, by the way, you're no better than Jesus. You're no worse off than Jesus. Jesus put himself under the headship of the Father. He modeled this for you. Right? Everybody is submissive ultimately to God. Right? We are submissive to Jesus. Women were called to be submissive to our husbands in, in the home and to our elders and pastors at the church, right? To the leadership of the church. And in case we think that's unfair, we remember that Jesus Christ was submissive to the Father. Remember in the garden? Remember what he said in the garden? He's praying the night before his crucifixion. And he says, God, I don't want to do this. He says, I don't want to drink this cup of wrath. I don't want to. If there is any way, let it pass. But how does he end that? He says, but you know what? I'll be submissive to you. He says, not my will, but your will be done. I'll follow you. Philippians 2 tells us that, that Jesus, being fully divine, fully equal with God, saw that divinity as nothing to cling to, but instead he, he, he emptied himself out of it for the sake of being submissive to the Father, to coming, to living, to dying as a sacrifice for our sins. This is, this is Jesus. In, in case we think it's unfair for God to, to tell us that we need to be in a posture of submission— he reminds us he has done the exact same thing in the person of Jesus Christ. That Jesus Christ himself put himself in a posture of submission. We keep going. This is where it gets really funky. Every man who prays or prophecies with his head covered dishonors his head. 
his head here, not like his physical head, right? His head is Christ. Remember, we just saw that, right? It says, I want you to understand the head of every man is Christ. So he says, every man who prays or prophecies with his head covered is actually dishonoring his head, which is Jesus. But every wife who prays or prophecies with her head uncovered dishonors her head, her husband, since it is the same as if her head were shaven. For if a wife will not cover her head, then she should cut her hair short. But since it is disgraceful for a wife to cut off her hair or shave her head, let her cover her head. There's a lot of talk about head and coverings there. Let me just sum this up for you. Okay? Um, basically, um, there, there's two ways to think about this. Both are accurate. What, what Paul is saying here is the, the, the goal in... Please don't get confused. You're like, um, I have long hair. Am I supposed to have long hair? I have short hair. Is that okay? Is that bad? I wear a hat. Should I not be wearing a hat? Listen, you're fine. You wear that hat. Dude, you got long hair? That's cool. You're fine. Right? What, what, what he's saying here, though, is this. He, he's basically saying, look, God has created you, man and woman. You are to worship, prophecy, pray as clearly a man. Or as clearly a woman. You are to step in the role that you're given. That's, that's what he's really saying. You're praying in prophecy, by the way. These, we're talking about public worship now. We're talking about public worship. When, when you are praying, you are talking to God. Right? When you're prophecy, you're talking to people for God. Right? And, and both men and women are called to pray and prophecy in corporate worship. Right? Now, um, that's different than preaching, right? Preaching is when we look at the Word of God, we expound the Word of God, we figure out how to teach the Word of God, and then we publicly share what the teaching is. Prophecy is when I hear from God and I share what God has said. And both men and women are supposed to publicly pray and prophecy in different settings and in different ways. It's not wrong for women to do that. Paul is not forbidding women to do that as, as some have taught, right? Some people will take this text and, and, and take this to mean, okay, then, then women have no role in public worship. That is not at all what Paul is saying. He very clearly says, when you pray in prophecy though, do it with respect to the head. And the whole bit about hair covering, it, it, it's really simply this. So to have your head covered was to wear a shawl or uh, not really a veil over the face, but over the head. We see that in some Arab culture still today, right? That we, that we wear um, things over our head to kind of cover our face. That was a common practice for women, right, in that culture. It was a common practice for women in that culture. Uh, it was a sign of purity. And it was a sign of reverence. Now, here, here's the deal. When you didn't wear one of those, it was a sign that you were available. The people that typically did not wear veils or head coverings in that culture were the temple prostitutes. And, and so, what, the, the reason that Paul's saying, look, you, we, we follow the custom of, of the day here, right? He, he's saying, look... Men are to follow Christ as they follow Christ. Wives were to follow um, our men, right? And, and Christ, he did that for us. He showed us what that looks like by being submissive to God. 
And he says, as we do that, as we pray and prophecy in these ways, as we participate in public worship in this way, we do it clearly following the customs of the day. Whatever that would look like, whatever that is. We, we put ourselves under the authority. If it's, a, if it's a head thing, then we're the head thing. You know what? We don't live in that culture. Right? You do not need to wear a head covering to, to come and attend church here. When I was on the search team at Bethany, way, way, way back when I was, I was an elder chairman at Bethany and, and part of the church there, and I remember we interviewed a, a potential pastor, um, and we knew right away it was not going to be a good fit because um, one of his missions was to make sure that all of the women in the church were wearing head coverings. Right? To make sure that the women of the church were wearing head coverings and to make sure that all the men of the church had short hair. Because when he read this text, he interpreted that to mean that this was something that always had to be the case. Right? And one of the things we have to do when we read scripture is we have to figure out what's cultural and what's transcendent. Right? What's transcendent means it's good for every culture. It's an instruction that, that goes past this culture and it impacts every culture that reads the Bible. This is a true statement. If it's, if it's cultural, then it doesn't last past that culture. Right? When Paul talks about headship, that transcends, and we're going to see that in a minute, why I can say that with authority, that when he talks about headship, that transcends culture. When he talks about these things, it does not. Here he is referencing the culture. Right? He's saying, look, it would be better for you to have your head shaved than to not wear a hair covering. Right? It would be the same. It, it's dishonoring to you. It's dishonoring to your husband. If, you, you know, in, in Jewish tradition, who had their head shaved? Those that had been caught committing adultery, right? When, when you were caught committing adultery, you had your head shaved as a sign of disgrace. Paul's saying, look, if you're, if you're going to enter into worship and, and you're going to, to, to make yourself unpure in this way, then you might as well just shave your head, right? But that's disgraceful for a wife to have a shaved head because that means that you've had an affair and that you're an adulterer. So just cover your head. That's basically what he's saying. For us, what that would mean is just be clearly who God's called you to be. He's called you to be a man. Be a man. Prophesy. Pray as a man. He's, you're a woman. Prophesy. Pray as a woman. This is what the distinction is. Keeps going. He says, for men ought not cover their heads since they're the image and glory of God. See, we're like, well, Matt, why, why do we know that this transcends culture? That headship transcends culture. Well, here he's going to tell us, right? Because he, he, he talked about head coverings and shaved head. That's culture, right? That, that ties to the culture very clearly. But here, headship ties to creation. He says, for man ought not cover his head since he's the image and glory of God. But woman is the glory of man. For man was not made from woman, but woman from man. Neither was man created for woman, but woman for man. That's why a wife ought to have a symbol of authority on her head because of the angels. Now, the because of the angels gets weird. We'll talk about it in a second. Put a pin in it. Everything else makes sense here when we talk about creation. Here's what he's saying. He's saying, look, we know headship is a real thing. It's not a cultural thing. The idea of headship, right? We all submit to Jesus, right? Men, we submit to Jesus. Women, we submit to our husbands or the church leadership as they're submitting to Jesus, right? And we, and we know that's true, and he ties it to creation, right? He's not tying it to the culture, 
One of the things that people say all the time is, well, of course Paul didn't want women to, to, to be teaching in the church because they'd never been taught in the church. So first they had to be taught so that in generations to follow, they could step into teaching. But Paul doesn't tie it to this cultural phenomenon that's happening now. He ties it to creation. He says, this is the reality, right? Man is in made in the image and for the glory of God. Before God said to man, it's not good for you to be alone. Before he said that, here's what he says. He says, I created you in my image, in my glory. Go rule this world. He's like, I have created you to be my steward in this world. Conquer it, rule it. That happens before the woman is created. And then God looks at him and he says, but you know what? It's not good that he's alone, right? I need to find him a helper. And so then what he does is he causes him to fall asleep. He takes a rib and out of the rib, he creates woman. And he presents the woman to the man and he says, yes, at last, this one is perfect for me. We are together, bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. We are together now. And then God says, now collectively together, conquer the world, rule the world. Cultivate the world. But Paul is tying headship back to creation. He's like, look, God created man. And he gave him a job. He knew in his infinite wisdom that man couldn't pull off that job on his own. So he created a helper for him to pull off that job. He says... Man was not made from woman, but woman from man. Neither was man created for woman, but woman for man. That's why headship exists. That was God's design from the beginning. Headship, authority, responsibility to lead is not a product of the fall. It predates the fall. It goes back to God creating Adam and Eve perfectly that they would be in this symbiotic relationship. But I want to be clear, because whenever we talk about women being created as help to men, sometimes people hear things I'm not saying, right? God didn't make you a servant. God didn't make you a maid, right? God created somebody that he knew, right? You could not do what he's asked you to do without. God hasn't given men a mate. He's given us a helpmate. That is a divine word. The word for helpmate, I've told you this before, you probably know it, you're probably sick of hearing it. The word for helpmate, it's the same word God uses to describe himself when he's talking about the nation of Israel, right? The whole nation of Israel is existing and they're doing it bad. And they need help. They need God to come in and help them and lead them and, and protect them and, and empower them. He uses the word help for what he is going to do for the nation of Israel. That's the same word he uses when he says, look, these men, they need help. I will create a helper just for them. Right? This isn't um, somebody that God gave you so that you don't have to to work hard. It's not somebody God gave you so that they could serve you. This is somebody that God gives you so that you can step into the role that he's asked you to be in and you can't do it alone. I think about my own life. God didn't give me Carrie um, just so that I wouldn't be lonely. 
God gave me Carrie because there was no way that I could carry out the divine mission that he has for me if she is not by my side. To strengthen, to sharpen. In a lot of ways, for me personally, it's been to soften. And it's still going. Right? But this is God's design in this. And so this is a very symbiotic relationship that Paul's trying to talk about here. But he says, uh, that's why the wife ought to be under the head of the father. This is the way God created them. This was the design from the beginning. The fall exacerbates it. It makes it hard. Remember what Jesus told Eve? He's like, hey, because of the sin that entered the world, now there is going to be tension in this relationship. The, the, the authority and the headship and the responsibility to lead always existed, but now because of sin, there's tension there, and it's going to be tense, and it's going to cause problems, but it's not new. And then there's this weird part because of the angels. Um, uh, we don't really know exactly what Paul's talking about there, but I read a lot of commentaries because I wanted to know. And, and here's the general consensus we have about because of the angels. It is Paul's making the point that in creation, there's nothing more glorious than the angel. And the angel is completely submissive to God, to the Son, to the Holy Spirit, and eventually to you. Right? What are we told? That God made us a little lower than the angels for a while, but that we will actually have authority over angels in eternity. We will judge angels. Right? And so I think Paul's making this point here. He's like, he goes back to creation. He's talking about creation. He's talking about the way that God created men and the purpose, the way God created women and the purpose and, and the responsibility to lead. And he's saying, oh yeah, and don't forget the angels. You, we, we need to be submissive because of the angels, right? They are a perfect example for us in how this works. No, no creation more glorious than the angels who ultimately find themselves in submission But nevertheless, Paul says, don't be confused about this. Yes, right? God created men, right? And then he created women from men. But he's like, don't get confused about how important you are, guys. He's like, nevertheless, in the Lord, woman is not independent of man, nor is man independent of woman. For as woman was made for man, guess what, duh? Now men are made from women. Again, it's this symbiotic relationship. So Paul's saying here, yet no matter how we understand headship, yes, headship is real, and, and the responsibility and authority to lead is real, don't get things out of whack, because we need each other. It's a symbiotic relationship. So there's a couple of, uh, of things that I want to caution you of as we get into this. Here, here's one. All men aren't over all women, right? Paul is very clearly writing about two places— the home, and the church. And in the church, it's in the context of church leadership. All men in the church are not over all women in the church. That's not how it works. Men, you don't get to flex your authoritative muscle over women in the church because you're a man and they're a woman. That is not the way this works. It's not the way it works in the world. Paul is not saying, God is not instructing that women should not have positions of authority. It's not what he's saying. I, I, have, I, have, I have heard theologians and I've heard pastors preach that, that we should never have women running anything because they should always be under men. That's not what Paul's saying. 
That's not the point that God is making here. He's talking about headship and the responsibility to lead in the home and in the church. Right? I heard this argument when, when um, or I hear this argument when there's women running for election in, in politics and in government. Right? That, that, that they shouldn't be in that position of leadership. They shouldn't be running things. No, that is not biblical. That is not a biblical position to take. And so I want to be clear about this misconception. All men aren't over all women. That is not appropriate for you to think. It's not appropriate for you to claim that the Bible teaches it. Headship exists in the home and it exists in the church. Two, if in the home or in the church, men find the need to flex their authoritative muscle, then they have absolutely failed in their leadership. Because the way that we lead men is through servant leadership. The way that we lead is through putting other people's needs ahead of our own. We lead the way Christ led us. The way Christ led us was to literally lay his life down for our behalf. So if you find yourself needing to flex your authoritative muscle that says, I am in charge, I am the head, and we are going to follow me, then you've already done it wrong. Three, men aren't smarter, more talented, or more spiritual, or more valuable than women. There are plenty of women here in this fellowship, in this body, who are smarter than I am, who are more talented than I am, probably much more spiritual than I am, There are women here that probably make better public speakers than I do. It's not the issue. Right? The issue isn't that God has made us men better at things. That's not what happened. God has put us at the head of things. Right? But if we're wise, if we're smart, we will recognize that that our wives and, and as leaders in the church, those that God has placed in the church, that... Many are are wiser and better Bible students and um, have a a better grasp on theology and understanding and these things and and will act accordingly. We'll invite counsel. We'll trust. We'll encourage um, these things. And and ultimately, we won't be isolated in our leadership, but we'll be together in our leadership. Okay? A couple more. Not every man is worthy of the position he's given. This is one of the the arguments I hear about male headship more often than anything else. Some men suck. There are times in my life that I have sucked. Hopefully, there won't be too many more. But I don't know. I'm growing. I'm trying. Right? Not every man, not every leader in the church, not every leader in a home is worthy of the position that God has given them. And here's what I can tell you. They will answer for it. When you refuse to lead your home well, or leaders in the church, when when we neglect our leadership in the church the way that God has called us to do it, we will answer for it. God will not tolerate it. 
So I want to acknowledge for you, yes, I know that not every man is worthy of the position that God has called him to be in. And it will be dealt with. God tells us that very clearly in his word, that that we will be held accountable for the positions that he's put us in. Last one. Women have a significant role to play in the leadership of the church. While the New Testament seems to not allow for women to be elders, and and we can see that in Scripture. That's not the purpose of this. So so I'll I'll mention something, and if you really want to know more, dig into our podcast this week. Uh, Malia and I, and and maybe some of the other staff, I don't know, but we'll have um, a a guest with us too, and and we'll dig into this text a whole lot more and and talk about these things a whole lot more. Um, But... The New Testament doesn't seem to allow for women to lead as elders, but that does not mean there's not a significant role for women to play in the church. Of course there is. And we would be wise if we were to allow women to step into that role and lead. Here's what we know, right? There are four schools of thought when it comes to this. I'm going to go through these pretty quickly. Uh, the, the, la- the first one and the last one we can, we can kind of throw out. But these are schools of thought in churches. One is feminism. We can dismiss feminism offhand because feminism, basically it tells us that, that things that are inherently man, inherently masculine, are evil. And so there is an inherent mistrust of things that have been driven by men. Well, if we understand scripture to be True, the church is to be driven by men. And so therefore, there's a lot of mistrust of the Bible of Scripture when it comes to feminism and Christian feminism in particular. And so we, we put that aside. On the other end is patriarchy. That, that women have little value. They, they are there to help you and that is it. And there is to be no leadership and no authority and nothing is ever to happen on that end. And that causes all kinds of problems in the church. Misogyny and, and abuse and things that have stemmed from that. And we throw that out, out of hand. The two that that are functional in the church is what we call egalitarianism or complementarianism. Egalitarianism is the view that, yes, while we are different from one another, men and women are different from one another, we functionally operate the same in terms of leadership in the church. There is no difference between men and women when it comes to where God wants us to be. Complementarianism says, while we all have infinite value, and we're all made in the image of God, and we're all perfectly, um, we're perfectly right in the way that we are, God has given us separate roles and separate functions, and they complement one another. Complementarianism. Blessed Hope here as a church, we are a complementarian church, right? We understand that we are created differently Men and women, we all have value, but the Bible does seem to suggest that there's different roles for men and women in the home and in the church. Very quickly, Ephesians 5. For wives, this means submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For a husband is the head of his wife as Christ is the head of the church. The church submits to Christ, so wives submit to your husbands in everything. For husbands, this means love your wives just as Christ loved the church. It's a tall order, husbands. You've got to love your wife the way Christ loved the church. And as you love your wife the way Christ loves the church and you lead her in that way, she is to follow your leading. We know that. 1 Timothy 2, 11 through 13. Women should learn quietly and submissively. I don't let a woman teach men or have authority over them. Right? Why? Not because culturally that makes sense. But tied to creation. For God made Adam first. First. 
And then afterward, he made Eve. This, he's not saying, because of the culture you're in, it makes more sense for, for men to be the leaders. He's saying, because of the way that God designed headship at creation, this is the reality. It's also revolutionary. Paul's saying, for the first time ever, let women learn. Women had never been allowed to be a part of active learning in the church, in the temple, in the synagogues. None of those places. And Paul's saying, no, 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 no stop that. Let them learn. Yes, they're not supposed to be the head, but let them learn. And, and, and Paul finishes up. Judge for yourselves, man. Is it proper for a wife to pray to God with her head uncovered? Does not nature itself teach you that if a man wears long hair, it's a disgrace to him? Again, you want to have long hair, you want to have short hair, none of that matters at this point. Right? Men be men, women be women. Right? But... If a woman has long hair, it is her glory. For her hair is given to her for a covering. But here, here's, the, here's the, the last point Paul makes as we close up. If anyone is inclined to be contentious, Paul says, we have no such practice, nor do the churches of God. Here's basically what he's saying. If you want to argue about this, he said, I get it. It's a hard teaching. If you want to argue about it, I get it. But this is what it is. We don't have any other teaching than this. We don't have any other practice than this. None of the other churches have different teaching or practice than this. He's basically saying this is orthodox, right? If you're inclined to be contentious, I get it. But this is, Paul saying, this is what it is, right? The reason he adds that is because he knows this won't necessarily be a popular teaching. He says, so if, if, if you want to be contentious, I understand. But this is how we have to see it. This is how we have to do it. It's not tied to culture. It's tied to creation. Man, that's a lot, and, and, and I'm running up against it. So here's what I tell you, okay? As we finish this up, my encouragement to you is to let this sink in. If you've got questions and you want more answers, one, tune into the podcast. Two, right? It's on, on Facebook. It'll be on the website the day after we, we air it. Two, if you um, have questions that aren't answered there or this is a struggle for you, or you've believed something different, let's talk. Let's have dialogue, right? Let's have a conversation about this complementarianism and egalitarianism and, and, and where headship comes from and why it's there, right? Wrestle with it. Chew on it. But ultimately, here's my encouragement. I want to ask you to walk in it, to not abdicate what God is telling us in his word. If he's called you to lead, then lead and do it well. If he's called you to follow and, and, and to submit, then step into that. Like lead where he's given you leadership. All of us are to submit at some point in time. Lead where he's called us to lead. Submit where he's called us to submit. And every single one of us is to do it under submission to God the Father in heaven. That was a lot... It's a lot to chew on. I'm going to pray for you. I'm going to invite questions if you have them, and uh, we'll close. Heavenly Father, God, you're good, gracious, and kind, and we love you. Thank you so much for your word, even these parts that are difficult to understand, because these parts that are difficult to understand, God, these things that maybe eat at us a little or rub us the wrong way, God, we know that you've included them for our good. You are our good Heavenly Father, you are faithful and you are um, compassionate and you are giving. And everything that you do is for our good. 
And so, God, we thank you for that truth. We thank you that even if we don't understand this fully, that we know that when we understand and function in proper headship, that it's good for us. And so we thank you. God, I pray that as we wrestle with these words and these theological, biblical truths, that, that, that you will confirm in our hearts uh, what it means to be submissive to you ultimately. And that you'd help us walk in the authority and to be submissive where you've called us to be submissive. And that, God, we would just grow in that. We love you and we praise you and we thank you. Amen.